It's Wednesday, May 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, the one and only Emily Flippin. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris. We've got video game earnings. We've got home improvement earnings. We are going to start with another all-time high for shares of Target. First quarter profits crushed expectations. Same store sales were up 23%, which was more than double what Wall Street was expecting. And Target also restored full-year guidance. This quarter was insane. And when I say insane, insanely unpredictable. For people to remember, we're coming off of what was an incredible year in 2020 for essential businesses like Target. So all the numbers we're seeing this quarter are on top of what was already really impressive numbers last year. So they had revenue of just under $24 million in the quarter, which is up 23% year over year. Earnings that were 64% more than what Wall Street was expecting, and was a 525% increase year over year. And their same store sales, as you mentioned, Chris, were up nearly 23%, which is also more than double what Wall Street expected. It actually left me scratching my head, thinking to myself, why? Not that Target isn't a great business, it's a wonderful business, but what are people buying at Target that led to a 17% increase in traffic comparables and a 5% increase in basket comparables? And the only answer I could come up with was apparel, it seems like, was what management highlighted in their call. So maybe people are getting out more, buying more clothes. I might not be one of them, but that's the only reason I can come up with. It is sort of a sneaky part of Target's business that um, over the past few years they've invested in apparel. Um, uh, that was, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember what year it was, maybe 2016, 2017, whenever they decided to cut their pharmacy business loose, sell it to CVS. And when Brian Cornell, the CEO, was asked about what he was going to do with the money, one of the first things he talked about was, we're going to invest in apparel. And there was some group of people who sort of laughed at that, but um, you know, Cornell and his team and, and shareholders are having the last laugh now because it's, it, you know, it's, it's a little similar to what we saw earlier in the week with Walmart, where the average ticket price at Walmart was going up because Walmart is selling more sort of big ticket items. Um, Target doesn't really have the same set of offerings in terms of big ticket items, um, but what they do have is their own line of apparel. They have apparel. Apparel was up 60%, like I mentioned, in the most recent quarter. But there's also strong growth in their home segment, which is up 30%, and their consumer durables, which is also up 30%. So I suppose some of those bigger ticket items, right, the appliances, those sorts of things, which go into the consumer durable segment, those were also selling off. So maybe that does help come to that basket growth, that 5% average basket growth. But I just think having more convenience in terms of traffic, seeing that drive up revenue up 123% in the most recent quarter, just meant that people were going to target more often in this quarter than they were even during the pandemic in 2020. And you have to feel like, again, the stock is hitting an all-time high, so it's natural to look at the business and think, well, oh, you know, okay, let's, let's ratchet down expectations. But you have to think that the table is really set for them for the second half of this year when you've got back to school and the pent-up demand around that, uh, particularly when it comes to college students, um, and then uh, into the holidays. Uh, it's, it, it really seems like they are in good shape. 
And last critical thing to watch here is actually their owned brand sales as well. All the private label work that Target has done on the side, there's a 36% growth in that segment, which is pretty great for their most recent quarter. While the red card usage has kind of just been slowly declining, which you know never really was a big part of Target's business in the first place. But that owned brand sales, that's high margin revenue for them and their margins, their gross margins for the year were up. 5% from 25% to 30%. So more of that private label sales going to help their margins too. Same store sales for Lowe's grew more than 24% in the first quarter. Profits and revenue were higher than expected. Uh, and yet, just like Home Depot, no guidance from Lowe's. And I, 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 I don't want to ascribe stock moves to any one single thing, but it is not lost on me that Target after a year of saying we're not giving guidance, came out and restored full year guidance. And Lowe's, just like Home Depot, is saying, no, we're not giving guidance. And the, the shares are you know, not popping like you would think they would on the results that we just saw out of Lowe's. I think I have an answer for you, Chris. I'll get to it in a minute. First, let me say the numbers, because the numbers, as you mentioned, were exceptional. Uh, there's an 81% growth year over year in their earnings, which are 20% over expectations. Revenue also beat expectations up 24% year over year. And their same store sales, obviously outstanding, up 24% year over year. But when you dig into why Lowe's, and in this case, I guess Home Depot as well, are seeing such amazing demand right now, especially from their pro business. I actually think it comes down to a factor that's largely outside of their control right now, which is lumber. And that's not to take away from the exceptional quarter that was their seasonal division, their kitchen division, electrical, all of those things were great for Lowe's. But by far, their best performing segment in the quarter was lumber. And that's because lumber prices, if you've been following that at all, Chris, are insane over the past year. They're up 90% on average in the United States year over year. Supply chain disruptions really messed up the lumber industry. Pros and people who are buying it are paying much more for access, which is certainly helping Lowe's and likely Home Depot as well. So I think maybe the market is discounting the exceptional quarter this was because of that lumber factor that's a little bit hard to break out. Now that's it's absolutely fair, um, and it is interesting to see Lowe's start to emphasize the the contract the professional side of their business a little bit more um, than they have in the past. Uh, obviously, that's a strategy that's worked so well for Home Depot for years, and Lowe's is getting in on that action too. I'm I'm not going to go on my Marvin Ellison rant because I think many frequent listeners have heard me talk about uh, Lowe's CEO, the former CEO of businesses like JCPenney, uh, which he left in a quick hurry. But certainly Ellison, since he's been coming in, has focused a lot on the pro sales. Typically, this is an area where Home Depot has really outperformed Lowe's. Lowe's always much targeted, much more targeted to say a homeowner or a small time professional, as opposed to medium and larger businesses. But they're making a more concerted effort in going after that pro business. I don't have a great sense about the penetration from that pro business in the most recent quarter, but they did specifically call out the fact that they are on target for small to medium sized pros coming into Lowe's stores, also a critical metric to watch. What what's your problem with Marvin Ellison? I'm just I'm just looking at the stock <laughs> since since he took over nearly three years ago and it's basically tripled since he's been in the corner office. Is it because he I left? A, is, it, <laughs> is it because he left J.C. Penney in a lurch? 
You nailed it. You nailed it, Chris. I am the bitter daughter of a former JCPenney employee who um, was maybe socialized in her opinion of Marvin Ellison well before Ellison made his way to Lowe's. So I am also maybe a, a slightly bitter shareholder of Home Depot as opposed to Lowe's here. So I'm coming in with a pretty biased opinion. Just like every investor, just like me, just like everyone else who comes on the show, just like everyone who's listening, we all have our biases. That's fine. Yeah, the difference is you didn't know that when you asked me to come on today's show. (laughs) I did not. Shares of Take-Two Interactive up 5% this morning after the video game maker ended the fiscal year with a bang. Fourth quarter profits were much higher than expected. Revenue beat too. And, you know, this is... This is what we've been seeing out of this industry. We saw this last week with Electronic Arts and Zynga, and uh, this is a really strong quarter. I'll tell you what blows my mind the most about this quarter and about Take-Two in general. How are there still so many people playing NBA 2K and Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption? These are old franchises that are just so profitable for Take-Two Interactive. Uh, The earnings were, again, 40% above expectation, largely led by their NBA business, NBA 2K series. And when you look at the guidance that Take-Two laid out, again, the focus, you know, more than 55%, I believe, of net bookings, they expect to be on the 2K chain of of games. So a lot of reliance there upon these, the steal a Zynga term, forever franchises. But the good news is, is that, you know, even while guidance for this business was kind of lackluster because they're worried about people spending less money on games as the pandemic slowly winds down here, the good news is that they still have a pretty robust pipeline in terms of future games, um, both new ones as well as expansions on existing franchises. So the pipeline for Take-Two is still wonderful. And despite the kind of lackluster guidance, this quarter was outstanding as well. See, my reaction when I was on their website earlier today looking at their portfolio of games was I was actually comforted um, seeing the games that you mentioned because I recognized them. Because initially on the site, I was like, I haven't heard of any of these games. Now, I'm not a gamer, um, but I've got one in my house. um, uh, And he's not really big for um, anything in the Take-Two universe. But I'm wondering if you think that... um, we talked about this recently with Activision Blizzard and Call of Duty. I'm wondering if you think the the whole idea of sunk cost plays into uh, the advantages that these video game companies have. And by that, I mean, for people who just decide, all right, I'm going to go all in on Grand Theft Auto, or they, they get hooked on it early, or Call of Duty, or any franchise for that matter, these are not these are not Zynga type games. These are not mobile games that cost a couple of bucks. These, you know, these cost $75 in that neighborhood. And it's the sort of thing where, well, if you're if you've already spent the money up front and you know the franchise, you know then then there's I'm not saying there's a big switching cost for gamers, but there's a comfort in, hey, I like this universe, whether it's the NBA 2K or Call of Duty or anything else. I actually think it has a social aspect to it as well. Once you have 
yourself accustomed to a game, you have a group of friends who maybe engage in that game with you, play it alongside you, it is harder to kind of convince many people to make that switch as opposed to any single person. I will say about the NBA 2K series is they see a lot of growth in Asia and in China in particular. So while they're working on you know expanding in the US, they, they actually kind of saturated the US market and you know, from now on, it's, it's really largely an international growth story, especially in China. But for the people that they do retain within these franchises, they do tend to spend more money over time, which is why, again, when you're looking at any gaming business, especially businesses like Zynga or Take-Two, you really want to look at their net bookings. And many people might hear that and think bookings for a video game company, uh, but this is just really in-game content spend that the businesses have to recognize over an extended period of time, as opposed to recognizing it upfront. Uh, very similar to mobile games, but there are in-game spends for businesses like Take-Two. And the net bookings were up 19% as well over the past year. So Take-Two not only is growing in terms of just single time game sales, right? So you talk about those kind of high upfront purchase prices, but they're also growing a lot in the engagement, the in-game spin that they're getting from those same purchasers. Emily Flippin, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.